My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that our God can do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can't do Just one word you hear what's broken inside Just one word And you revive every dream Just one touch I feel the power of heaven Just one touch my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that There's not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree, there's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things, there's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like the power, there's nothing that our God can do. There's not away there's nothing that our God can't do there's nothing that our God can't do there's not a prison wall he can't break through oh praise the name that makes a way there's nothing that our God can't do church. I am surrounded on every side, can't see the light of day, but I am persuaded beyond all hope. You won't let go of me I stake my claim on every word you say you will not be late I will sing the fire and thunder cause you are on my side I trust you with my life I know my story it isn't over even against all
again in so many ways we have just sung our prayer it is our desire lord as a church body god that that you would come and reign in each of our lives and that then as a whole our church body would then just be offered to you to be used to further your kingdom here on this earth god we are um, so grateful that we get to be a part of the work that you're doing and we just ask now that you would continue to help us to have open hearts to you and what you would say through your servant dr van nest as we um, as we hear from him the word that you've you've brought to his heart god we love you we just want our lives to look like that amen well good evening trust that you've had a, a great day and thanks for coming out on a cold and snowy uh, Saturday night. You know, we're talking about discipleship uh, this weekend. And uh, tonight, uh, the teaching time is uh, really focused on discipleship within the context of, of relationship. And I'm thinking a lot about family, household, uh, connections with, with children and parents, but also grandparents and grandkids. But it extends beyond that because we're really just talking about living in relationship with one another and what does discipleship look like within those relationships. When my oldest son was really young, he had just learned to walk and he had just gotten to that place that he was really kind of confident and walking. We were at a mall one day, the shopping mall, and we were in front of a store that the whole front of the store was glass. Have you ever seen a store like that? And, and so from a distance, it looked like just the whole front of the store was open, right? And, and Jordan, my oldest, uh, he decided he was going to go in that store. And he jumps up, man, and he's just full of confidence, and he goes booking across that mall because he's going to go in that store. And you know what's going to happen, right? And, and the thing is, I... I probably could have stopped him, but there was that part of me that thought, this is going to be really funny, right? <laughs> and so he goes booking across there, and he just face plants in that glass and just bounces backwards on his behind. And, you know, good parents, like, run over and make sure their child is okay. And bad parents, like me, just laugh and laugh. But he, he grew to be a functional adult. He's fine. Um, <laughs> There are those moments when you, you look back and you think, yeah, that probably wasn't good parenting, right? I've had a lot of those moments, and I'm going to be just really uh, authentic, really vulnerable with you. When, when I think back uh, about discipleship in my home uh, with my sons, my first reaction is, is to think that I wasn't real good at that. Uh, to think that I, I wasn't uh, the, the disciple maker that I should have been. Because to be really honest, the, the whole thing of like, you know, formal family devotions and shared prayer time, it didn't always happen in my home the way that I wanted it to or the way that I had envisioned it. You know, it just, it didn't. And I think, especially as my kids got older and uh, they became busy and distracted and I was busy and going to meetings in the evening, it just wasn't what I always thought that it should be. And there's a little bit of guilt there. Because I think I should have done those things. And maybe you feel a little bit of that. Maybe you feel that even now. And, you know, it's not just within immediate families. It's not just within, you know, parent and child relationships. I think it just happens within our social networks. We have our friend groups and we have our neighbors and people at church. And we think, you know, that discipling, if we're really good at it, it means that we're going to sit down in this really formal Bible study or we're going to have this very formal prayer group, and we look at ourselves, and we look at our lives, and we think, you know, we really haven't been consistent with that. We really haven't been good in helping others in their spiritual journey, and 
making disciples. And so we have kind of this sense of failure. And tonight, I, I want to be careful because it's not that those things, right, that the family devotions and the Bible study and the prayer groups and all of that, it's not that they aren't good and necessary things because they are good and necessary things. It's not that they aren't a part of, of the spiritual journey and discipling people because they are a part of it. But just like we talked about with prayer last night, Sometimes we, we start to see these things as a separate obligation that we have to add to what we're already doing. This is just another thing that we need to do. And when you start to see it as a, a separate action, a separate duty that you have to somehow tag onto your life, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to think, I, I do this pretty well, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good with family devotions, or I get together with my friends for Bible study, and so I'm good. You know, I've done my work of discipling. That'll happen to you, or the other side's going to happen to you. You're going to look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm not really good with that stuff. <laughs> It just hasn't kind of worked out the way that I know that it should, the way that I want it to, and so you feel a sense of failure. I want to suggest tonight that perhaps our view of discipleship, just like our view of prayer, that our understanding of discipleship in families and houses, but also with our friends, with our neighbors, in our social circles, that understanding has been too narrow. I think we have a limited view of what we call the Great Commission. And I want us to look there tonight to Matthew 28 and verse 16 and reflect on this a little bit. Matthew 28 and verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him... They worshiped him, but some doubted. I would love to just stop there tonight and, and talk about that reality for a second. Um, this picture that, that even in worship, in, in the presence of the resurrected Christ, some of them struggled with doubt. And yet Jesus still commissions them. And sometimes I think we believe that the life of faith means that it is a life free of, of questions and free of struggles and free of doubt. And that is completely unbiblical. What genuine faith is, is holding on to Jesus even in the midst of those questions. They worshiped him, but some doubted. But to those people, even the ones that were struggling, even the ones that were doubting, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when we go on a mission trip, it's discipleship. When we give money to a missionary work or to some ministry in our community, it's serving the purpose of the Great Commission. When we have a Bible study, when we have family devotions, when we have a prayer group, it's all about making disciples, and all of that is completely true and good and right. But what we do sometimes without even realizing it is that we separate out the spiritual things, spiritual things, from the rest of life, from everything else. And so we have our Bible studies and our devotions and going to church and our worship and all of these things and our mission trips. We package those over here. This is the spiritual stuff. This is great commission stuff. This is discipling stuff. But now I've got all this stuff over here that is somehow disconnected and unrelated. All of my ordinary, day-to-day, in-and-out, work-life, family-life, ordinary, secular part of life. 
We don't always realize that we do that, but we do. We've got this spiritual life over here. This is where we're discipling people. And yeah, we are. But then we have the rest of our lives over here, and we see that as completely unrelated. But I want to suggest to you that that's not what Jesus said. I want you to look at how this this call, this great commission is framed. How does Jesus begin this? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he ends with a statement, surely I am with you always. All authority in heaven and earth, and I am with you always. Those are the bookends of what we call this Great Commission. Now, Jesus doesn't say, I have authority and I reign in the spiritual things of your life. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus doesn't say, "I, I will only be present when you are doing spiritual things. No, Jesus says, I reign over all that is. I have authority over every aspect and area and compartment of your life. And in every single one of those, I am present. I am present in every moment. You see, the separation of of the spiritual and the secular is one that we have created. You know, we we have the spiritual life and and the work of discipleship, and we've confined it to these particular activities and these particular moments of life, but that is not biblical because Jesus reigns over all, and Jesus is present in all. And therefore, everything is spiritual. For the follower of Jesus, there is not a divide between the sacred and the secular, the spiritual and the non-spiritual. For the follower of Jesus, everything is spiritual. And so it's within that context that Jesus gives us this commission. Go and make disciples. Lead them into faith. Teach them what it means to to follow me. Help them to understand what it is to be a disciple. Go and make disciples. So now think for a second. Now, in this context, where Jesus has said, I have authority over everything in heaven and earth, and I am with you always, how does that change our understanding of that middle part? But what is the full picture of making disciples? I think Jesus is saying to us, it happens in everything. It happens in every moment of family life. It happens in every moment of friendship. It happens in every moment of connection. Because what Jesus literally says here is, as you go, Make disciples. In your going, is what it says. In your going, make disciples. Jesus is not talking about a special trip that we tag as a mission trip, although those things are fantastic. What he's talking about here, though, is our ordinary coming and going and working and relating. As you go in the world in all of your ordinary working and relating life, your getting up and working and sleeping and eating, all of your life, make disciples. And so making disciples and being discipled, because it works both ways, is not an add-on or an extra obligation. It is something that is integrated into the flow of life, just like we talked about with prayer, just like we talked about with service this morning. 
Discipleship is a way of living and being. It is not an extra thing that we have to do. It becomes a part of who we are. It is how we live. So how do we make this tonight really just practical? How do we bring discipleship into our everyday living, into our everyday relating to one another? What can that look like? A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, in a class, we, we watched a video from Q Halter, who was a church planter. He was kind of an accidental church planter. He has this great story of how he went to seminary and he had every intention of just going the, the normal routes, you know, graduating seminary, taking a church position. But uh, there were circumstances in his life. He had a young son who had severe epilepsy, had 20 to 30 seizures every single day. And he ended up having uh, significant surgery, hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket. And so Hugh had absolutely no choice but to, to leave seminary and just start painting houses, which is what he did to get through college. And in the course of that, he, he gets connected with someone, and, and they begin to just have a, a friendship where they're just discipling each other. And they said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to start a church. And so they started this church, and they, they latched on to this idea that there is just this really simple, reproducible DNA of the kingdom. That if we just live in this rhythm, we will make disciples. And he said there are three things. Be, belong, and bless. Be, belong, and bless. And so this few families came together and they said, you know what, we're going to commit ourselves to live in this rhythm. That once a week we are just going to be, we're going to gather and have conversations about Jesus. We're just going to get together and talk about what God is doing. And once a week we are going to do something to belong, to create a sense of belonging. We are going to share the table. We are going to have a party. We are going to welcome folks in to build connection and once a week, we are going to bless our community. We're going to do something specifically to bless, to care for someone. Uh, we're going to do something to serve. And we're just going to live this rhythm. Be, belong, and bless. And these few families got together, and they just began to live out that, that rhythm of every week. Having a conversation about Jesus doing something to belong to each other and sharing the table, having a celebration, and doing something to bless somebody. And the amazing thing was people actually began to come to faith. <laughs> and pretty soon they had 50 people meeting in their house. And they said, well, we can't keep doing this, so we're going to just kind of plant another church up the street. And pretty soon they had 120 people. And not long after that, they had 400 people, and they just kept reproducing these centers, these homes, all across the city. And that's all they did. They just lived in a rhythm of every week, we're going to be, belong, and bless. I think it's a great model for church planning, but I started to think about what that would look like, and how that would function in our homes. How would that function, how can that rhythm play out in our families? How, how can that rhythm play out um, in our social networks and in our connections? And I think they can. In fact, I think that's what Jesus is actually calling us to, to just live in this kind of rhythm. What if we just recognize the moments that are already there that create a sense of belonging? How many of you eat? Yeah? You eat? Good. 
How many of you eat with other people? Okay. Did you ever think about that as just a moment of belonging? That when you share the table in this moment, this is where Christ reigns and Christ is present, and it's an opportunity to help someone feel like they actually belong and they are connected to family? Jesus did. For Jesus, that was a moment of discipleship, simply sharing the table with people. We do it all the time. But do we share the table in that moment, recognizing that Christ reigns over that moment and Christ is present in that moment, and this is a chance to help people belong? When my kids were little, um, I, I read to them uh, each night, and we read all the way through the Chronicles of Narnia. Can I tell you something? That was discipleship. Did we read the Bible? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> we read Chronicles of Narnia. But that was discipleship. I remember the times that we were hiking trails in the Smoky Mountains, and that was discipleship. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, wait a second, that's not spiritual. Oh, but wait a second, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Jesus said, I have all authority and everything in heaven and earth, and I am always with you. And so everything that we did together, we did under the reign of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus. And you see, this is what we need to understand. We are all, and this is true for every single one of us, we are all being spiritually formed every moment. Always. The only question is how you are being formed. What is forming you and how are you being formed? But everybody in every moment is being spiritually formed. Everybody in every moment is being discipled. And there are liturgies of the world that are discipling people every day. You know what? You go to a sporting event, that is a liturgy that is forming people. You go to the mall, that is a liturgy that is forming people. Right? We're always being formed. And so when you have moments and opportunities to help your children, your grandchildren, your friend, your neighbor, or anyone feel like they belong, you know what that does? It, it reveals the love and the acceptance of Jesus. And that's discipleship. When I share the table, when I take a hike with my kids, when I read them a story, and I do this in the presence of Jesus, and it affirms that they belong, I am revealing the love and the acceptance of Christ, and that is formative. That orients them toward the love of Jesus. What about those moments in our typical ordinary lives where we bless someone? You know, a lot of times blessing someone is just being present. Right? To just be present and to be an encouragement. A whole lot of discipleship is just showing up, quite honestly. Just being there. Do you have any idea how many marching band competitions I sat through? Any marching band people here? We've got some. Tell you what, man, I'm good for about three marching bands, and then I'm done. It's like, yeah, this all sounds the same to me. But when my son was on the field, I was going to be there. Why? Because that's discipleship. <laughs> that is. To be there and to say you are of value and importance, that is formative. My son, my youngest son, who is in Nashville, has had 
a few episodes in the last year of just some crisis and challenge personally. And there have been times when, you know, my wife and I have said, you know what, we just, we need to go to Nashville. We need to take the time and we got to drive down the road and, and just be there for him and with him. That's discipleship. And I know some people want to say, well, that, no, that's just what parents do. <laughs> that's just what parents do. That's not really discipleship. But no, you see, when we bless them with our presence and we encourage them, what we are saying to them is that they are created in the image of God and they are loved and they are valued. And that is a formative moment. It is discipleship. Because once again, it reorients them toward God. When you reveal the love of Jesus in people's lives, it orients them toward the love of Jesus. It opens the space for the grace of God to work. I have a student who's doing a, a music recital tomorrow. And I'll be there. Even though it's going to be that really high-class music where they sing in Italian, and I don't understand any of it. But I will be there. Because it's discipleship. So many of us are, are what? We're locked into our phones all the time. I know people that text 100 times a day. You know what? Why not just text something of encouragement and blessing to someone? Remember, as you go. Just in the ordinary things of life. As you go, make disciples. What you all did today, what you did this morning in your service, you know, making the meals, serving others. Yeah, that's service, but it's also discipleship because it reveals the love of Jesus and opens up that space for the grace of God to work. How many chances do you have just to bless somebody? And it's not secular versus spiritual, man. It's all spiritual. And here's the thing, when you actually become just intentional and aware of the presence of Jesus in these ordinary things, and you are just taking hold of the moments to help people belong and to bless people in the ordinary coming and going of life, here's the thing that happens, and this is going to settle the minds of some of you, who still want to say, that's not spiritual, that's not discipleship. Here's the thing, when you create that culture where people belong and you create a culture and relationships where people feel blessed, it creates the opportunity, it opens the door to conversation. You see, it opens the door to that B part, having conversations. And specifically, it opens the door to Jesus' conversation. That when you just learn to help people belong and, and you just bless them, you are revealing the love of Christ and, and you are turning their hearts toward him. And that opens the door and creates the opportunity for Jesus' conversations. And I'm not talking about sermons. I'm not talking about formal Bible studies. I'm not talking about scripted presentations I mean, Jesus' conversations are as simple as just telling your story. Just talking about your experience and your walk with God. Talking about what God is doing in your life in this moment. You know, Paul in the book of Colossians in 3.16, he says, let the, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 6, he, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Let the word of Christ dwell within you as you teach one another, and let your conversation always be full of grace. And he is not talking about preaching there. He's not. He is talking about the normal, everyday conversations 
that even in the ordinary space, we are disciplers. And that if we begin to live in this rhythm of just belonging and blessing, in the ordinary moment-by-moment aspects of life, the Spirit works in that and opens the door to Jesus' conversations. Let me give you an example. Uh, One of the things that I've always bonded over uh, with my kids um, is just total nerd stuff. Uh, We love superheroes, right? Uh, We can talk about Marvel movies all day long. Uh, My students know if you want to completely derail a classroom, start talking about Marvel movies, and the rest of the class is gone because we're just going to talk about it the whole time. That has been a point of belonging for us. Superheroes, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, if it's nerdy, we're, we're probably into it, right? But that has been a place of belonging for us. Those are things that we have shared. And so when the new Spider-Man movie came out in December, which I was like super excited for, right? We actually went to Nashville And my oldest son, who lives in Oklahoma, was on his way home uh, for the holidays, and he went through Nashville. And we all met in Nashville, and my wife and I and my two sons, we all went to see Spider-Man together. And we were sitting there after the movie that we were there at a pizza place in Nashville, the four of us, eating pizza and talking about this movie. It was belonging. was belonging. It it was blessing that we all just showed up to be there for each other and to share in something as simple as that. But here's the beautiful thing that happened. And you've got to know this. My youngest son, who's 23, um, does not claim any faith at the moment. He went through a lot of just the normal uh, emerging adult questioning and struggles. And he wasn't in a good place emotionally to process that. And to be honest with you, he's just become really kind of frustrated with the church and some of the things that he's seen in the church. And so within the last couple of years, he, he's kind of gotten to that point that he's just said, you know, I'm done with that. And, and he does not testify to being a, a Christian really has no interest in being a part of the church at the moment. But we're sitting there over pizza talking about Spider-Man in this place of just belonging and affirmation. And we start talking about this movie, and we start talking about the themes of redemption and grace that were in this movie. Because they were there, right? Because Jesus has authority over all things in heaven and earth, even Spider-Man. And we start talking about the idea of redemption and grace. And it became a Jesus conversation. Guys, that's what discipleship is. It's not this added-on thing to life. It's something that we live. It's about living our daily lives in such a way that we help people to belong and we bless them as we can bless them, and we trust that in that the Spirit is going to open the door for Jesus' conversations. Now, does that mean that we don't need in our faith journey, the formal teaching or the Bible studies? Absolutely not. Absolutely we need those things. But just like with prayer, when when our lives are lived with this awareness of God, and that begins to overflow then into specific focused prayer, the same thing happens here. When we start to see all of life as an opportunity to be discipled and to disciple, those structured times 
becomes something more than just an add-on or, or a separate obligation, more than just a, a spiritual compartment of our lives. They just become a part of who we are. Because every day I, I just want to help people belong and I just want to bless them and I want to be sensitive to Jesus' conversations. And, and when I'm living with that awareness, then you know what? Man, I just I want to be a part of the Bible study. I don't see it as extra. It's just, you know, the overflow of my life. I, I want to be in worship because it's just the overflow of my life. I want to be a part of the prayer group because it's the overflow of my life. As you go, make disciples. Sometimes I think we make this a lot harder than it should be. We have this box of things that we have to do, and we say that's what discipleship is. But because we don't have the big picture, it becomes really hard for us, and we're trying to fit these things in around everything else. It shouldn't be that hard. Just as you go, help people belong. Share the table. As you go, bless people. <laughs> Encourage them. As you go, be sensitive to the, to the moving of the Spirit and the chance for Jesus' conversations. And you know what? As you go all these other things will just become the overflow of your life. Now, I've wanted to give you a practice for everything. And so I want to share a practice with you tonight that will help you to develop your sense, that, that rhythm of just be, belong, and bless. And it's the practice of Sabbath. But we need to have a biblical understanding of what Sabbath is. Because we so often equate Sabbath with church activity. Biblically, that is not the case. Right? Biblically, Sabbath is not equivalent to church activity. It is a time of rest in which we delight in what God has created. And we are renewed in our body and in our mind and in our spirit. Sabbath is that time that we set aside to be renewed in the shalom, the peace of God. To have peace with God, to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with others, to be at peace with creation, including our own, our own body. And the pieces of Sabbath are this. To practice Sabbath, we stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. John Mark Comer has a, an excellent book that I would really just encourage you to read called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, and, and he talks about Sabbath and the practice of that for his family. And, and they do Friday nights, basically at sundown to the end of the day on Saturday, sundown on Saturday. That's very biblical too, right? Friday night, sundown to sundown Saturday night. And they just begin by sharing the table together and having dinner and talking about their lives and talking about the week. And, and they shut off everything else, right? They shut off all their phones, right? They shut off all distractions. And they give 24 hours to just stop and rest and delight and worship. And Saturday, they just, you know, they'll walk to the local bakery for donuts or they'll make breakfast together. They'll do some things on their own, like he'll, he'll go read and somebody will go journal or somebody will just take a nap. They'll take some time just to go for a walk or to play a game. But you know what? It's all about belonging and blessing and being creating space in their life to remind one another that they belong together, to bless one another just with their presence and their encouragement and to create the space for Jesus' conversations to happen. 
So tonight, um, I want you to really think through what, what would Sabbath look like for you? And maybe you couldn't even start with 24 hours. That's okay. Maybe you start with six hours, you know? You go from noon to six. What would it look like for you to stop? What do you need to stop in order to create that space to simply belong and bless and to be? As a family, as you know, a friend group, whatever it is, what do you need to stop? I mean, we need to obviously stop the work of our hands, right? Because that's, that is Sabbath. Israel stopped the work of their hands to show that their lives depended on God, not them. Maybe you need to, to stop the phone, right? You need to shut it down. Maybe you need to get away from all media. I don't know. But whatever distracts you from, from giving attention to these ideas of just belonging and blessing and being, you say, from this time to this time, we will stop those things. What do you do to rest? What is it that, that brings rest to your mind, to your body, to your spirits? Do those things. Sleep is good, right? It's okay to have unstructured time where I do nothing. Sometimes people say Sabbath just feels like a waste of time. Well, yeah, but it's a holy waste of time. It is a holy waste of time. What brings you rest? Is it taking a walk? Is it reading? Whatever. What delights you? What brings joy into your life? What do you guys like to do? Tell me something fun. What do you like to do? Um, what? Legos. Legos. That's a Sabbath thing. Playing Legos is very Sabbath. What else? What do you like to do? Play video games. Yes. My boys love Legos. I still have a barn full of Legos in my backyard. And video games. What brings you joy? That's Sabbath. So what would it look like for you as a family or for, as a group of people to say, on this day and this time, we are going to stop all these things. We are going to deliberately just rest, and we are going to do the things that bring delight. And what happens out of that is we we have a spirit of worship because we become cognizant again of the presence of Jesus in all things. As we, we take that time just to belong and to bless and, and the doors open for conversations, it leads us to worship. I cannot urge you more strongly. Begin to practice Sabbath because it is something that captures those rhythms. And if you begin to practice that on a regular basis, those rhythms begin to flow out into your ordinary life. So that day by day, you are blessing, you belong, and you be. As you go, make disciples. Lord Jesus, tonight, I just pray that you would help us to, uh, quite honestly, stop making it harder than it really is. Um, help us not to separate out uh, the spiritual from the secular, but to recognize that everything is spiritual. And in our conversations and in sharing the table, and just being present for others, it is a moment of discipleship. It is a moment that reveals your love and your grace. It, it turns their heart towards you. It opens that space for your spirit to work, and it opens the door to the conversation. 
God, help us to become disciple-makers as we go. Lord, I just thank you for, for this church, for the people who are here this night, because I, I know that they have a heart to do that and to do it well. Give them the grace just to live in full awareness of your presence in all things. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.